0: Can you believe it's been 50 episodes already? Now, big thanks to Winnie for reminding me that it's bang on four months and I'm recording my 50th episode of a podcast. And, you know, I know they're not as long as the old ones, but these ones are probably where I am mentally right now, where I probably have an attention span of about 20 to 30 minutes where I can just do this. And those who know me understand that I have a really short attention span. I'm probably like a five-year-old a lot of the time. And you know, even when I record here, I spend half the time rolling around on the floor, lying down, playing with my phone, doing all that sort of stuff, just because I'm easily distracted. So just getting one of these out of me would be a nightmare for anyone else. But it's the 50th one. And one thing I will say is the 51st one will have completely different theme music. So we will probably, I don't know if we'll cycle through a few tracks until we get it right, but just to switch it up a bit, I think... The first 50 was One Direction. I think the second 50 should be an evolution and a progression. So we will have some updated music and hopefully you guys will appreciate that. I also wanted to say big congratulations to a good friend of mine and a guy that, you know, I'd like to feel I played an important part in his career. So young kid, Courtney Bennett, won the GB championship, I think for the second year in a row now, you know, Nominally, he's still the third best super heavyweight in the country, which means the 2020 Olympics will be quite hard to achieve. But God willing, he might sneak up and actually surprise people by getting to the Olympics. Did really well on Thursday, you know, boxed to instruction, and he, he did well. Came in pretty light as well, so he looks in good shape. And now he's definitely someone to get behind because when he does turn pro, you guys listening will say, actually, do you know what? I've known about this kid for a while. Pretty special talent. And I think if he can incorporate what he learned from me with what he learns from GB, he'll be close to unbeatable. Also worth reminding people, look, John Palata boxes on Friday on the Arthur Boxer show, Alterium Ice Arena. I'm trying to get there. And it's subject to me finishing all the stuff I have to do with work before year end. The pains of responsibility, I guess, so appraisals and all that sort of stuff have to be done. I'm trying to get everything wrapped up so I can shoot off, but I can't guarantee it. But tune in, I promise you, tune in and even if it's just to say, ah, that's the guy that Terry talked about, he ain't all that, whatever. Tune in and show your support because I genuinely think if John can do well in this, if he performs to the best of his ability, he puts himself in the British heavyweight mix. And he's a guy you do want to see against the bigger and better names. And in light of what happened on Saturday with someone who can box intelligently on the back foot when needed, who can hit hard, who can counter, all the things Joshua had to learn in a camp, you know what I mean? John does naturally. So he's someone to get behind. And, you know, him and I have spoken. I just pray that he gives the best account of himself that he can because if he does that, he's pretty damn hard to beat. And if you've got some spare capacity on Saturday, head down to York Hall. You'll have Umar Sadiq on a Mo Pryor show, but I think it's a Frank Warren satellite show. That'll be really interesting. You've got Dan Aziz in, at the Brentwood Centre, December 14th. So get involved. Watch all of this content. I think Friday and Saturday will be amazing. If you're a hardcore boxing fan or if you're trying to find people to get behind as a next generation or the new wave, I think this weekend will be pretty good for you guys. So definitely tune in, show them some support, show them some love. But what I really wanted to talk about, and I think what you, know, you guys tune in for, is looking at things from a different angle. I can't help, and I've had a few days to absorb the Joshua performance. As, as good as it was, and as forgettable as it was, it's left a significant legacy and I think it's told us something about boxing going forward that we should really pay attention to. I'm going to call it the Hulk Hogan principle. Now, this audience is of different ages, but I think we all know who Hulk Hogan is, and I think we all know how important Hulk Hogan was to the world of professional wrestling. But I think you have to be a certain age to realize how big Hulk Hogan was. Hogan was probably one of the biggest media personalities of the 80s, without a shadow of a doubt. Slamming Andre the Giant in front of ninety three thousand in the eighties, raking in millions, having his own cartoon series, you know, appearing in music videos, appearing in Rocky three. Hulk Hogan was like the ultimate tough guy, and in wrestling they had this expression, and I love it because it's very simple but so powerful, and it was Hogan must pose. And it well, what it simply meant was. At the end of every Hulk Hogan fight, he has to pose for the fans because that's what they've come to see. So even if he lost, he still had to pose. So the opponent would normally leave the ring. Hulk Hogan would pretend to be unconscious or he'd attack the opponent after he'd been pinned, defeat the, well, subdue the opponent and then pose for the fans. But what it meant was Hulk Hogan was never allowed to look bad. And I think we're looking at that with Joshua at the moment where under no circumstances can Joshua be allowed to look bad. And we can trace this all the way back to the beginning of his career. Like He's been on this massive upswing. And I know people talk about June 1st and how he lost back then, but look how quickly things turned around. On Monday, the spin was back being positive. Josh was back in the gym. Hearn was telling us, nah, there's a lot of things wrong that we can't talk about, but we're going to invoke the rematch clause and Joshua will be bigger and better. But this, this Hulk Hogan analogy is important, and here's why it's really, really important. Josh was the money man in the heavyweight division. He's probably one of the money men in the boxing division alongside Canelo. For me, it's Joshua and Canelo that really drive boxing revenue. And everyone else is trying to secure that fight. If you're in their weight class, you want to fight them. If you're not in their weight class, you want to be on that undercard. Because it can make you. And as such, very, very very, few people can find it in themselves to speak out against Joshua. And the only guys who tend to do that are the guys like the Furies of this world and the Wilders of this world, who already make millions in their own right, so they can afford to do that because they're legitimate rivals. So what you find is the public utterances of other people in the sport who are connected to the Joshua goldmine will toe the line. That's why you don't hear many people in public saying, I don't think Joshua can beat this guy. I don't think Joshua's that good. I don't think he's that special. But in private, this is all that's being said. From what I was hearing, what was being said in Saudi was, Ruiz should stop this guy. This was being said by your Sky experts. They expected Joshua to lose and to lose badly. But they couldn't say that publicly because they're on the gravy tray. Why? Because Hogan must pose. The money has to stay in the business. If Ruiz would knock Joshua Spark out in two rounds, that's fifty million a fight gone. Because let's be honest: yes, Wilder would want to fight Ruiz for the belts, but he's not fighting Ruiz to secure his family. Usyk doesn't really want to fight Ruiz for all the belts. Yeah, he he might win, but where's the money? Where's the event? Where are the memories? Joshua's the big draw. Joshua's the guy that draws the money, so you want to align yourself to him. It's just common sense. So they protect him. And they make sure that he can always be in a position to pose. To keep the money going, to keep the fans happy. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's something we're all going to have to understand, that the economics of boxing currently now, as we speak, demand that Joshua must pose. So we're going to see him fight guys who aren't expected to win. But it will be a big event, it will be a spectacular show, and Joshua will pose. This is where boxing's at. We have to to keep the biggest draw there because everything will follow from that. He can take the sport to new audiences and new markets, in a way that maybe Wilder can't, maybe Ruiz never could, maybe Fury just can't either. Chisora definitely can't, Dillian definitely can't. They can't do it in a way that Joshua can, where it's sustainable. So if you ask most people who they'd want to fight, economically they all want to fight Joshua. Now we know he's vulnerable, but we also know he's good for the money, and he puts on entertaining fights when he wants to. So I have a newfound understanding for what Joshua exists to do. He exists to be the anchor of the heavyweight division, to say, guys, work with me and we'll make a shitload of money. There's no ifs, buts, or maybes. We'll make a shitload of money. That's where, he, that's where, this, that's where this is all headed. At least for the next year and a half. People are going to just line themselves up for that fight because they want that payday. And if they can do a Ruiz, they get the rematch. All you're going to ask yourself is, what number can I negotiate with them? But they hold the whip hand now because commercially, Josh has become a powerhouse. And as long as he's got those belts as a two-time unified champion, jeez. There's no point in trying to fire any arrows at him. All the... Podcasts, all the tweets. Anyone who's trying to take shots at Joshua now, save it. He's too strong. He's too relevant, and he's too high profile right now for any of those to mean anything. You're 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 simply pissing in the wind. Stop. We now have to accept that we're in the era of Joshua until he fights a Fury or Wilder, which he'll be too sensible to do anytime soon. So we're in this era now for the foreseeable, and it is going to be cherry pick fights, this, that, and the third. And we're going to lose interest. It's going to be a bit like the Klitschko era where it's just flat and we're looking for someone to shake it up again. Yet what's really, what's really, really interesting about this are also the parallels you have between Joshua and Drake. For all those of you don't know, Drake's a Canadian recording artist. Call him pop, call him rap. He's a sing rapper. I don't know what Drake is, and that's the beauty of it. Drake was one of the first rappers they marketed away from the hardcore. Drake was never meant to be the hardcore's favourite. He was meant to be the mainstream's favourite. Albums where he didn't really rap that well. But the mainstream loved it. The hardcores hated it. The mainstream loved it. Allegations of him not writing all his songs... Hardcores hated it. The mainstream was supremely indifferent. Engaging in rap battles with guys like Meek Mill, who's one of the hardcore's favorite, mainstream didn't care. Mainstream didn't buy into it. Same thing when he went against Pusha T. Hardcores loved that battle, loved the fact that Pusha T murdered him. Mainstream didn't really listen. And now you've got Joshua in that same position where they've marketed as guides. We don't care if the hardcores don't like you. We've got the mainstream. We've got the casuals. You are the casual's favorite. You're the people's champion, Anthony Joshua. We do not care what the hardcores think. They're small. They don't come to shows. They don't buy pay-per-views. They don't do anything that puts money in your pocket. Why do you care about them? And Hearn has done everything in his power to ridicule the hardcores. And the paradox is the hardcores are so marginalized that they've now turned on each other. They can't even agree on how to attack Earn, how to attack Joshua. So they turn on each other in confusion. And in all this mix, Joshua just flies past him and says, I just care about the casuals. I care about the mainstream. That's where I'm going to make my money. That's where my legacy matters. So Joshua, like Drake, is one of these boxers. He's probably the first boxer where you're like, I don't care if the hardcore don't like him. I do not care if the hardcore ever grow to love him. We're making money in this casual mainstream market and there's nothing the hardcores can do about that. Because they're mostly economically inactive when it comes to boxing. They don't buy merchandise. They don't buy t-shirts. They just like to criticize and bitch and moan about the sport. And they're allowed to do that. That's not me saying that they shouldn't do it. By all means, express your relationship with boxing any way you want. Love it, hate it, bitch about it don't necessarily have to attack each other over it. I don't agree with that. Bit infantile. But so you see Joshua makes all this money outside of the hardcore. And you've got Fury trying to make money within the hardcore. The hardcore doesn't matter. Only now does Fury realize that actually you've got to leave the hardcore behind. The hardcore's favorite will never be the invest- investment manager's favorite. If you want that serious money, you've got to move away. As Drake has found out, that's why Drake is significantly richer than his contemporaries, as Joshua's richer than his contemporaries. They understood how to crack that casual market. Do I think it makes Joshua happy doing that? Absolutely not. Do I have sympathy for him having to go through that? Absolutely. But in four or five years, this man will be retired. And he will never have to worry about money again. Him and Lennox will sit there going, go, I'm still spending money for my fifth fight. And you have to applaud that. Now, now that I'm more reflective, I have to say, actually, fair play. If you're not going to be Anthony Joshua, the, the guy we remember on the way up, that's cool. I'm not, like, not going to be here banging the Joshua drum in fights. There'll be some fights I want him to win, but I rest assured there'll be some fights I'd love him to, to lose because I'm a wilder guy. Wilder's my vision of a champion. That's an It's an ideology. Wilder's my vision of a champion. Joshua's a vision of someone else's champion. You're not an idiot for liking Joshua. I'm not an idiot for liking Wilder. And I'm hoping in 2020 we can park all of that aside. If you think Fury can beat Joshua, cool. If you think Joshua can beat Fury, cool. If you think both beat Wilder, fine. If you think Wilder beats both, fine. If you think Dillian beats everyone, it's okay, it doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't make you less of a woman. It doesn't make you less of anything. And I think we need to move away from being that toxic because it turns relatively sensible people into children. It's embarrassing sometimes to read it. And I know for sure, 2020, I'm not associating around people who have that mindset. Let's criticize the sport for the things it needs criticizing for. But the naked and blind hate and <laughs> what do you call it the partisanship oversized you don't even know these people you've never met these people in your life and you've fallen in love with them you do anything for them you mean you drop your trousers for them it's it's weird it is weird because they're just human beings be a fan be interested but jesus christ man you can't live your dreams through people you've never met but back to joshua You know, his success will be the barometer for the health of the whole sport now. We just have to accept it. You know, Ruiz had his chance and from everything that's coming out now, blew it, royally and spectacularly blew it. Choked, mentally weak, around the wrong people, forgot who he was, forgot where he came from, forgot why he did this. All in the space of seven fucking Hollywood parties. What? Really? You get the golden ticket. You're there fighting Dimitrenko. Al Heyman doesn't know what the hell to do with you. Who am I going to put this guy in with where he's going to make me some money? Ah, Team Joshua called. I will give him our worst heavyweight. Ruiz then just flips the script. Now you stand on the threshold of becoming a guy that could make a hundred million, 200 million. And the cheeks of your backside start to flap. Your eyes start to water, and you hide from it. I don't think he was lazy. I think he hid. I think he got scared by what he was about to encounter. What you have in Ruiz frustrating is what. Sometimes between us trainers, we call a one-in-ten fighter. And what that is, is he'll give you one performance. And that one performance, if you saw that one performance, you'd get your checkbook out and sign him. You show up for the next fight, put your checkbook back in. And for nine other fights, you'll do that. Then you'll perform again. You get your checkbook out again. And you'll hope that he's turned the corner. And they'll disappoint again. There's nothing worse. And I repeat, there's nothing worse as a trainer than having to cover up for the fact that you didn't see the heart or desire in your fighter. There is nothing worse than that, I promise you. Poor Manny Robles having to sit there and take accountability for something he had no influence over. Look, same trainer, two different camps, two different performances, two different outcomes. Is it the trainer's fault? No, because... He could have just repeated everything he did in the first camp and you would have had a better outcome. But he's going to carry the can for this when it should be Andy Ruiz that does that. He was utterly embarrassing in his performance. And for all the hardcores who wanted to see Joshua brought down a peg or two, turn your hatred, turn your anger towards him for letting you down. The hardcore's hero couldn't shoulder that responsibility.
1: Is that the Anthony Joshua you expected tonight? I did expect that, unfortunately we had a great game plan, but I couldn't get Andy to be committed 100%. Was that because of the you know training I mean? camp? No, 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 it's definitely not because of the training camp, it's, it's, it's more him, you know, he's got to realize that, uh, you know, that he's got to, you know, again, he's an experienced fighter, he knows, what he, he knows what he has to do, he knows he's got to train hard, he knows he's got to be disciplined, there's no secret. You I know, know he's mentioned secret. the trilogy, but do you really think Anthony and Eddie will give him the trilogy now? You know what, I, I, I believe that can happen but he's got to prove it. He's got to go out there and beat some top heavyweight contenders in order to get that opportunity. It's not just going to happen from one day to the next. Not immediately. So not immediately. The in the future, if he means what he says about going back to the gym and working hard, then...
0: So you have a respected trainer, Manny Robles, saying that there's something wrong with his fighter. He can't get through to him. No, you meet some guys in the sport of boxing who are inherently self-destructive. They've come from a messed up background and all they know is how to find chaos from where, from where there is calm. You know, there are loads of them. And I, you know, I think if Nigel Ben was being honest and confessional, he'd tell you. He sought out chaos. He looked for trouble even where there was none. Why? He was just hardwired into him and he probably couldn't even tell you clearly why. And you have the same problem here with someone like Andrew Ruiz, but... It wasn't even like he was seeking chaos. It's almost like he was hiding from, you're about to be one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. And subconsciously, everything in him was saying, you don't want to do that. You're fine where you are. You're fine making two hundred to 800,000 a fight. You're fine being the guy that has to eat a Snickers. You don't want to be that disciplined guy. You don't want to be Joshua. That's what you're basically saying in your performance in camp. You don't want to be Joshua. And then it's left to your trainer to carry the can, which should never be the case.
1: Too hard as well, Manny. I, You know what? I, I wasn't with him if he did. I, wouldn't, I, I can't say because I didn't party with him if he did. <laughs> what kind of coach would I be if I did, right? But, uh, but I was in the gym worrying for him and on a daily basis calling him every day, uh, trying to get him to, to work hard, to train hard. That's my job. At what point...
0: You have a trainer saying to the world heavyweight champion... Mate, you've got to come to the gym. You're a professional boxer. Where else are you supposed to be? As a professional boxer, what else are you supposed to do? Why do you need a reminder to come to the gym? Why do you need anyone prodding you to come to the gym? And this is all coming out now. Had this come out earlier, Jesus, like, what would you do? In fact, with with everything I'm hearing about this camp, you lose more and more respect for Ruiz, but you gain more and more respect for Manny Robles because he was stoic through all of this. But he understands that he can't be the fall guy in this because he's still got to make a living in this sport. And his career can't be scuppered because of the laziness and the insecurities of one boxer. You know, it's tough. It's tough because I do feel for Andy Ruiz. But if you want to fight for the world
1: title, you have to understand what comes with that. Did it settle in that it didn't? He wasn't right. He wasn't training correctly. Uh, You know, there's there's a lot more that uh, what I shouldn't say. There's a lot more, but there are a couple things that that unfortunately uh, um, uh, uh, happened during camp that uh, affected him, and it wasn't. It had nothing to do with partying or anything like that. We had to deal with a couple of a couple of setbacks, a couple of injuries that we had to overcome. But uh, but then uh, like like. We don't want to use that as an excuse, and, you know, Anthony Joshua fought a great fight. He did. He stuck to the game plan. We were hoping that he would open, that he would open up and and st- and, and st- you know, stand in the center of the ring and fight, uh, fight, uh, fight Andy. And when he did, you saw what happened. He, you know, uh, Andy caught him a couple of times, but uh, he went back. He listened to his corner. You know, you got to be coachable. He went back to his corner saying,
0: "Listening to your corner." Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Yet, so few people do it. And the one time Joshua does it, he boxes, a shutout. You know, 119, 109, real humiliation for Ruiz, who didn't listen to his trainer. Injuries aside, that's not the point. You shouldn't have to call someone to say, where are you in the gym? And hopefully this has told people that actually this Andy Ruiz thing, it was hype, it was luck, all the stars lined up at the right time, at the right moment, and the very instant after the referee stopped that fight with Joshua, the old Ruiz showed up. Couldn't believe what he had done. Just couldn't believe it, and over time we realized he couldn't even cope with it. It's a sad way to go out, but boxing isn't one for fairy tales. It won't reward you based on sentiment. It will reward you based on what you've done. And he did nothing, therefore he got nothing. Maybe a round, that's it. One round, two rounds, that's all he got. And he just threw his belts away. Like Charles Martin, he may as well just have posted them. So everything you've heard from Manny Robles should make you appreciate what Joshua did even more. Because when his demons swirled around his head, what he's told himself was, I'm not missing a session. I'm not cutting corners. I'm not giving less than my best. And when the demon swirled around Ruiz's head, he just said he couldn't deal with it. He tapped out. He gave up. So, you know, you ask a question. What, what does Ruiz do next? I don't want to see him fight Wilder. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve that payday on that performance. Let him fight Luis Ortiz. Let him fight someone like Lewis Ortiz. Let him fight someone like a Charles Martin. Yeah? Let's see if he really wants it, now that the glitz and the glamour's deserted him. Let's see how bad he really wants to get to the top. I have a feeling we'll find out that he doesn't. He's okay getting his check and going home. Because he strikes me as a a simple man intellectually and a simple man emotionally. And maybe that's what it is. If if you haven't read it, check out my article for squaremile.com. And in that I say... You can't just want to be heavyweight champion because it's never enough to keep the belts. You have to exist for a higher purpose. And the belts are merely a prop. They're a stepping stone to get into that higher purpose. I think the belts are beyond anything Ruiz ever wanted in life. Whereas with Joshua, I think the belts are just the start. And that's why he was able to put himself in that position. Because what he's striving for is greater than just being unified world champion. Whereas for Ruiz... He just wanted a world title. Once he got that, I don't think there was anything more. He's a fighter, he's a boxer through and through. He peaked, he found his Everest. And then he saw that there were peaks even bigger and he was going to have to face one in the rematch and he got scared. He's not used to that. He could come back. But history will tell you that Ruiz is a 1 in 10 fighter. We've seen the best of Ruiz for a while now. And he's not getting any younger. And that excess weight starts to catch up with you. So we'll see We'll see if he decides to eat the Mexican beef. We'll see if he decides to make all the sacrifices. You know, we'll see if he stays with the same trainer for a change. But if you're missing training sessions, I wouldn't train you. I shouldn't have to tell you to come to the gym. Come on, man. It's your job. Your boss shouldn't have to tell you to come into work. You come in because you want to get that money. You come in because you want to progress. You know, that's pretty much it. You know, I just wanted to touch on that. And then, obviously, because this is the 50th episode, you know, just to say thanks to everyone that's kind of done all 50 with me. You know, the people that have listened in and have helped you commute, hopefully, and you guys have helped me. You know, the encouragement, you know, because sometimes you're doing the sport, you think, am I saying the right things? And when you get the positive feedback, man, it's always worth it, so that's always appreciated. And I just want to say that, thank you. Though. It's the guys that listen to this. You know, that's my boxing community. That's what makes boxing real to me, the people who listen to this. You know, because they take time out to support me like I support them. And if you're not listening to this, or, well, then no point in saying it. But I haven't got time for the people who are claim that we get along and they don't listen they don't support what i do so i don't support what they do it's that simple you don't retweet me cool you don't share whatever you know if i wanted to i could keep this going longer than their careers but it is what it is i think just to summarize guys really appreciate you guys listening in as always love you guys thanks very much you know look forward to episode 51 don't know what that's going to be but it won't be for a while because I do need a break in December. Let me go and enjoy myself for God's sake. And I will catch up with you guys soon.